Welcome to the Curiosity Solution. I'm your host, Beverly Beal. Join us as we explore the science of curiosity, share stories of people who've used curiosity to improve their lives, and maybe inspire some aha moments along the way. Hello, welcome, Kathy Platt. This is one of my favorite people in the whole world. Um, Kathy and I have known each other for at least 10 years, maybe? No, closer to 15. Yeah. It's closer to 15. Um, yeah, I started uh, seeing Kathy when I still lived in the Dallas area. And um, she was my massage therapist and energy healer at the time. And, uh, you know, I really give her a lot of credit for introducing me to some of the techniques that I use now with my own clients, uh, just using energy work, not necessarily, uh, you know, massage, because that's not my gift. Um, but Kathy, I am, I wouldn't would like to talk with you a little bit about what you were doing prior to becoming a massage therapist. Um, because, you know, obviously you, you had a life before you worked your magic fingers on people. Um, Talk to us about what what was going on before that, and and how your how how you ended up finding your way into the work that you do now. You know, at the time, my gosh, that was twenty three years ago, and at the time, I was married, and both of us were at university. I was actually um, studying um, biochemistry and genetics and medical research and all of those things. And my husband at the time was studying philosophy. He'd actually served in Desert Storm in the Air Force. And he came out wanting to, he was, he was profoundly affected by that and he really wanted to help humanity. And so he decided that becoming a human rights lawyer is what he wanted to do. Well, when you are majoring in philosophy and wanting to study law, which is what he was doing and I, was uh, attempting to earn my master's and PhD in, in uh, all, all things uh, medical research, it's exhausting. And you use a lot of brains every single day. And so one day he looked at me and he goes, I need a job where I'm not using my brain. And so for any massage therapists out there, I am so sorry, but he picked massage because he says, I'm gonna be using my hands and I'm actually going to make contact with people, which is something that's difficult to do in an academic setting. And so to me, that sounded interesting. And I'm like, hey, let me join you. That sounds like fun. And so we signed up to to uh, get our licenses in massage therapy. And I we both fell in love with it. And so that is some history on that. So did he ever become a lawyer? No, he did not. Um, there was something that was difficult to overcome in that journey. And sadly, he didn't overcome it. But what he did instead is um, he became uh, an emergency room nurse. Oh, so wow. what he ended up doing instead. So, so serving in De Desert Storm really did have an effect on him in that way. Well, I love, I love that you used his experience and desire to learn something else to, to really fuel your own curiosity mm. uh, about it. And boy, am I glad he did that <laughs> because <laughs> you, you, you're, you're kind of magical. 
Um, <laughs> thank you. So you know, for anybody you. who is is ever finding themselves in the Dallas area, um, I can put uh, her information in the in the show notes so that you can find her to experience the magic that I would love to have. Um, so, you know, Kathy, I see that you're actually in your office right now. So I'm, I really appreciate you taking some time away from serving your clients so that you could come on uh, to the show. Uh, so I appreciate that. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I really learned a lot from you um, was, again, that kinesthetic piece you know, you, you made the comment that you were, you were doing a lot of, um, brainy type work, mm. uh, in the, and the, the, you know, before this, not that you still, you, you don't now, but you know, in the past, it seemed like everything was very much head knowledge. Mm -hmm. And now what, um, you know, you, I know, as I know you, um, you do more with body knowledge as well as heart knowledge and, and just the etheric, world. Um, when, how, I guess my question here is how do you know when something is truly a sense of, of wonder and curiosity and something that you have to move forward with versus something that is just, you know, making those brain cells fire and get all happy. Um, talk to me about, you know, your process, uh, these days of figuring out well, what is something that I need to go explore versus uh, and really dive in deep with or versus something that is like, oh, well, this is a little rabbit hole. I'm going to trundle down and then, you know, head on back. So hmm. like, talk to me about how that feels in your body or how that shows up for you. Okay. So there are so many inroads to that question. <laughs> There's like 10 different beginnings that I could, I could choose. So let me start with the kinesthetic piece of that. Um, my whole life, I've taken for granted my sense of curiosity. It's just always been with me um, since I was a baby. And so um, one thing my parents did not, you know, repress that in me. They mm. allowed me the full use of that, except for the time when I was four and I crossed a busy highway because I was curious, small town. So, you know, oh. I, was, I was curious <laughs> about the grocery store across the tree because I suspected they had chocolate bars and they did. And I took one. <gasps> um, of course, my dad got in trouble for that one because he was supposed to be watching me. <laughs> Anyways, um, so they never did repress in any way my curiosity um they they allowed it and so i explored everything i could and i was rewarded for that um for me curiosity begins as a hope in my head um and it gives me this rush in my chest and my head uh, and a pressure to move in a certain direction and then when I move in that direction, as I'm moving, that hope begins to form into uh, hopes of finding, um, hopes of discovering, and ideas and feelings of how that might feel to find and discover. And so I would think that's some of the mechanism of curiosity for me. I so you talk about, a, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, you talk about a pressure. Tell me more about this pressure. Is it a pressure that is like 
pushing you or is it something that is pulling you? It's both. It's it's okay. like a push in my chest forward and a pull from the outside. Um, so the push is in my chest to go forward and the pull is outside of me to whatever it is I'm going to discover. Sometimes, you know, with curiosity, at least for me, you know, there's, uh, um, I find that there's kind of a difference between the curiosity of going towards something that I really want to explore versus the curiosity of how can I avoid having something happen to me? Um, you know, there, so, so it's almost that, that kind of a, not necessarily a fear based thing, but, um, do you ever have anything like that show up for you as far as, okay, I need to go do this because otherwise this is going to happen. Or is it more of a, uh, is that a completely different response? That sounds to me, if I'm understanding you correctly, how I view doing taxes. Um, <laughs> and there is no curiosity at all. <laughs> um, always okay. Fair enough. See how long I can procrastinate before I do them. Um, but that is definitely a carrot versus stick phenomenon where the stick is not doing the taxes and the carrot is getting it over with. Um, in curiosity, there's no sticks at all. It's all joy and it is all hope and wonder and the, the not knowing and the not knowing moving you forward because you're about to know, or you're going to know, or you're going to do what it takes to know. So, you know, one of the, um, you mentioned that experience that you had when you were four and mm -hmm. you crossed the street. Um, and that was like the only time that you can remember where your curiosity was not rewarded. Um, I did get the candy bar. Oh, um, well, okay. But the spankings I got, uh-uh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So is there any other, were there any other uh, memories though, um, as you were, you know, either childhood, um, high school, college, after college, et cetera, where, where that exploration, that, that, that desire to, to see what was around the corner, where it turned out less than positive for you? No, that's never happened. Really? Yes. Like in, in every endeavor of curiosity, I have always been rewarded with discovery. That's certainly fair to say, you know, we've always discovered something that, uh, something new. Um, I guess my question was, you know, was that thing you discovered what you thought you were going to discover versus what you wanted to discover? Cause we're always learning something new. It was usually more, um, it was usually more. So when I was little, uh, when I, when it was bath time, I would always look at the way the water would be different with light in it. Like when I was like playing with the washcloth and it created waves and those little tiny waves had little sparkles in them from the light above me. And I would probably spend as long as mom would let me which was a long time because it was her break time, um, studying and studying and studying that light and how it bent in the water um, and how it sparkled. And I wanted to understand what that was. And so high school and physics and chemistry and um, refraction and, and what is light and all of those things 
I was rewarded with those answers. It, it's like the question, it was, some people say, well, if you know how a rainbow works, then it's no longer magical. And for me, so I guess that's a matter of perspective. For me, the rainbow is even more magical because I know to some degree how it works. Uh, Am I answering your question? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're just having a conversation here. You know? uh, so yeah, absolutely. You're answering my question. That's so cool. I am. I, I can't say that I, I was that child. Now I liked watching the soap bubbles pop and I loved watching the iridescence on, on the bubbles. And, um, and so, you know, I guess in that way, I, I would, would look at that. I had a little bit different experience growing up with, uh, with, with when it regards to, in regards to, to exploring things, um, growing up on a farm, there were lots of dangerous things around besides, you know, a highway. Um, there were so many opportunities for me to injure myself fairly severely, uh, either climbing on hay bales or uh, crawling over uh, broken and rusted uh, metal and, and things like that. So there was, there was always this, this feeling of uh, trepidation when it came to my exploration. Um, <clears throat> and I'll, honestly, there were quite a few little injuries here and there, but you know, it's so, so for me, I actually, one of the things that I loved about working with you, um, is, is freeing up that, that inner child to, to be more, um, fearless about going out and, and exploring and knowing that somehow, somewhere, this is all going to work out, what work out in my, my benefits. So, you know, just a little thank you for that. Um, so, do you have any, um, I guess, I guess my next, uh, thought process is, um, when you are working, um, you know, with, with clients, how do you know when it is time to push somebody into more of a exploration phase? Um, I mean, obviously when you're, when you're doing your, your massage work, that's a, you know, you can really feel when the muscles are being receptive to pressure or when they are working on, um, you know, or they, they need a little bit more time to, to relax. Um, but when you're actually doing the energy work with that, how, talk to me, talk to me about your process, uh, with that and how, when you're working on a, on a spot, how is it that it shows up for the, um, that tactile nature that where, you know, that, okay, this is, this is the path we need to move forward on this versus maybe we just leave things well enough alone. I, I, I don't know if I'm making a lot of sense, but you kind of get an idea of what I'm saying here, right? Maybe. Um, it, I had a client the other day and she was a new client and she let me know what she was looking for. And she, she'd gone through several massage therapists. And so that told me, because there's a lot of amazing massage therapists out there. And so that told me that if she was still looking, there was some kind of need that wasn't being met. And so I tried to find it. I asked her what, what was it about the other massage therapists? And she, she shared with me that maybe they went a little too deep or something like that. Um, and so I, 
invited her repeatedly to communicate with me, which is one of the keys is they, A, they communicate back and I, A, have to be completely humble and listen and believe them. Um, and they need to see that I'm doing that. And then they're able to move forward with that safety. Um, but with her, she started moving a little bit on the table and I was listening as best as I could to what her body was telling me. And I asked her about the pressure and I asked her about her session and she let me know that it was, it was good. And so I was confused. And at the end of the session, she finally burst out that she wanted more of a compression massage versus a stroke massage. And in Texas and everywhere else in the United States, you are taught a stroke massage versus a mm. massage. And I'm like, I don't know where you're going to find that. And I wondered why did she not share with me or any other therapist that she, that's what she wanted. And so how I know where to go is something tells me when to, when it's okay to go because maybe the muscles relaxing and therefore that lets me know I can continue in that venue. And then if the muscle starts contracting a little bit as I'm working, that tells me that I'm in an area that they are not ready to release or that I need to try a different, a different approach. So one of the things that I've always appreciated about how you work is um, your ability to, to see the energy that is um, stuck in the person's muscles or in their energy field. Um, was this client open at all to doing any guided visualizations while you were having the session? She really was not aware of that side of the things I do or that particular hat that I wear. And when somebody comes in just wanting a massage and they're not very much aware of the energy work that I do, I let them meet me where they are, which is just the massage. And so even though I could see her energy, I did not register that because that's not where she was. And so I tried okay. to meet where she was. So how do you find out? Um, how do you how do you go about finding out if or letting these clients know that, you know, hey, I've I've also got this, as you say, this other hat that I wear. How do you how do you let them know how what's how, how do you, what, what, what are this internal cues for you to say, oh, hey, this is someone that I, I think I could reach in that manner? <laughs> I'm laughing. I have a client who's been my client for like 17, 18 years. Okay. Um, she's elderly. And even though from the beginning of my journey as a massage therapist to today, during that time, I have added manifestation, chakra balancing, you know, working with past lives, um, bringing in somebody's biochemistry, working in the, you know, in the capacity of a naturopath and all of those different things. And I developed over that time, the ability to see somebody's energy to work with their energy and a bunch of other tools like working with the astrological archetypes or any other archetype, um, tapping, all of the inner child work, all so, and studying Carl Jung, like, like really 
educating myself and disciplining myself in different realms and understanding them and testing, testing, testing. Okay. With this person, she met me when I was just a massage therapist. And so, um, and she was a hundred percent shut off to anything else I was doing. I would let her know, Oh, Hey, I'm kind of exploring this. And she's like, that's dumb. I don't <laughs> believe that. And so I took that as a subtle cue that that might not be the direction she wants to go at. Yeah. Oh, so subtle, so I, subtle. I can read. <laughs> um, yeah. And so with her, it literally took maybe 16 years. Okay. Out of that 17 before she had enough wrong that she was like, I will do anything to correct. She had a thyroid imbalance, but I'm just a massage therapist. What do I know? To, to correct why I'm feeling this way. And I'm like, you have a thyroid imbalance. And I've been trying to tell you that. But since you only see me as a massage therapist, I'm just the massage therapist. And she's like, okay, fine. What do you recommend? I'm like, iodine. Anyways, so, and then one day her stomach was aching so bad and she, she, she couldn't stay out of, you know, stay away from the bathroom because she was in so much distress. And so we happened to be texting. Um, and she let me know what was happening. And I'm like, here, I'm just going to pull the energy. And she goes over the phone, over text. And I said, yeah. And so I did. And she goes, I'm better. And so after that, <laughs> she started believing me. So that's like the worst case scenario. But <laughs> the, <laughs> the, so now she's good, right? But the, the, it took 15, 16 years. The normal case is I will ask them, hey, this is something that I do. How do you feel about it? They will tell me. And if they're somewhat open to it, I will ask them, are you, is it okay if we just try a little something and then we can just see how you feel? And then I describe it to them. And then they're like, okay. Um, they're like, if you think it'll work, sure. And so I try it, it usually works. And then they're open to it. And then that re it, way of relating is um, established. I like that you are working with these people, even over text. I know, again, you you and I have this personal relationship. So we've done quite a lot of that kind of work over the yeah. phone uh, and over text. Um, again, for those who are are listening and, and don't quite understand what we're talking about, um, can you explain a little bit when you, you talked about the astrological archetypes? Um, can you talk to us a little bit more about how you use those in, in this work, in this realm? Sure. So back in 2001, there was an experiment that I paid attention to. Um, it would end up, uh, it would be called spooky action at a distance at that time. Um, and, and before then. Spooky action at a distance. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so what this experiment was, was uh, scientists in Europe, they had this massive particle collider and they it's called the hadron collider and they use this particle accelerator collider to discover new particles that are way smaller than an atom or to understand a little bit more about light or magnetism or how different particles might interact or how they behave 
And usually these are experiments to understand things at the quantum level. Um, a quantum just means it either is or it is not. There is no in between. So hmm. either something is like a light switch is turned on or it's turned off. And in the quantum world, that phase between where you're actually moving the light switch doesn't exist. Okay. And so what they did was they took two particles of light, um, which to me is miraculous. How do you go and grab a couple of particles of light? That's crazy, but they did. And they figured out how fast it's spinning, which direction the particle was spinning. Um, and then they took another particle of light and they put it next to that one and they had it where both of them were spinning at the same speed, the same direction. So everything was the same about them, except they were in different locations because they were two different particles. So they took that sister particle and sent it miles, literally the Hadron Collider spans two countries, um, some very tiny countries. Um, they sent it to the other end of the um, accelerator and they captured it. And they measured it to make sure the spin was the same, the rotation was the same, the direction was the same, and it was. And so what they did with the first particle is they reversed the magnet or they flipped the particle. Um, and then they watched the other particle, which was a zillion miles away, not really. But, and they noticed that in the exact same moment, there was no time difference. It flipped too. Oh, wow. I know. Meaning that there was some connection that they don't know what that connection is but it is a repeatable experiment. They repeated it a lot of times. Um, but back in 2001, when I saw that, that motivated me, uh, was, was a piece of why I actually left academia. Um, I did go into massage therapy, but that was also an incubation time for me to understand, oh my gosh, if light behaves like this and we are made of light, every single particle in our bodies, if you were to explode in a nuclear reaction, you would emit a light that could just like be the sun in a city because all we are is com organized, compressed light. That's what atoms are. Um, and so I'm like, wait a minute. If two particles of light can be entangled, that's what spooky action at a distance means. It means it flipped and we don't really know why, therefore it's spooky. If that can happen and we evolved life evolved in this soup of light um then our brains because i was in neurochemistry at the time then our brains must have evolved with the with this all kinds of abilities like an array of abilities to interact with every single light particle that is and so i knew science was not headed in that direction it was headed into something it can make money with which is quantum computing which is externalizing what we already have inside our heads, which is this massive photon flipper. Anyways, um, and so... Are you saying our brain's a massive photon flipper? Um, yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so, the Greeks and the Romans and the Hindus and the Aztecs and the Egyptians and the Chinese and the all of these massive cultures around the world who were around a long time figured out that there is some correlation between how our lives go, how our thinking goes, how our personality goes, um, and where our planet is relative to some group of stars. 
And that and groups of stars are like massive emitters of light. Planets are massive reflectors of light. And so they developed a science as best as they could called astrology on how, how a living being interacts with whatever light we are near and whatever frequency soup that is as our planet goes around the sun. Of course, they didn't know it went around the sun at that time. But they developed the science as best they could in all of these major cultures. Um, and so what happened is my understanding is um, Carl Jung. So here we have 2001 experiment, light is connected. We have ancient civilizations who studied how light is connected with life and what that means. Um, and then we have the Greeks who personified and externalized these experiences and made them into gods. Like there's, you know, the sun gods, the Egyptians did this and there's, you know, Jupiter and, and all of these things. And they would worship these objects in the sky because they didn't know that those objects in the sky were interacting and mirroring back with something deeper and maybe more transcendent um, inside of us. Okay. I'm not doing very good, but I'm trying. Oh, you're doing great. <laughs> okay. So 2001 experiment, ancient civilizations try to develop this science about how these things in space interact with people and lives. And then the third piece to this is Carl Jung. Carl Jung is a psychologist from Germany. Uh, he, he, um, he really humbled himself, which was key and let his subconscious be whatever it was. And he documented the entire experience of exploring his subconscious and the subconscious of other people. And he did not know, but he was open to the fact that that subconscious is actually bigger than the self. So he documented that there is something called a collective subconscious and a collective unconscious. And he did it not because he wanted fame. In fact, people still hate him today for this discovery because it doesn't make sense. He just stumbled into it and wrote it down. That there's something bigger than the individual when it comes to memory, when it comes to experience. Um, so there's Carl Jung. And so then there's this person named Edward something or other that he has a really long last name. I can share that with you later. But he put all of this together back in like 1970 something and wrote a book about it called um, The Inner Guide Med Meditation, where he had the understanding based on everything that the astrology of the ancient world is actually a reality generator for anybody at any time. And so he understood that if you look at a birth chart in astrology, um, that that was a map of how reality could go. And moreover, he learned how to interact with the map to make that the most amazing life experience possible. Um, and so to finally answer your question, <laughs> an archetype is a term coined by Carl Jung. And an archetype means an overarching type or an overarching persona. And that persona transcends an individual. So everybody knows what a villain is. Everybody knows what a mother is. Everybody knows um, what a king is. 
everybody knows what, what a poor pauper who's an opposite of king or something like that. These are called archetypes that are in the collective unconscious. Um, and so when I talk about astrological archetypes, we are accessing what the Greeks and Romans put into the collective unconscious and what the Hindus, when we go to Eastern astrology and the Chinese astrology, put into the collective unconscious. Um, those are those are interfaces where we can actually interact with all of the light that's coming in from a space and our brain can interact with that and we can interact with that and use that to flip photons everywhere to establish a new pattern or establish a new page in our universe and create something that is different than it was before. Just about every one of those sentences could be its own podcast, Beverly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so there, uh, yes, I agree. Um, so what I'm hearing you say is that you're using these archetypes as, and the language of astrology to help identify and make sense of this unconscious or the subconscious program that that we were raised in or that we have been exposed to uh would that be a fair assessment it's close um okay. i wouldn't say it's a language i'm grateful so much for language but it's an interface it's a okay. machine it's it's an actual reality generating machine so it's more than a language it is an actual system that is active. Can you give us an example of how you would use this archetype in, in a client session? So okay. let's say someone comes in and they've got um, a, a pain in their, in their neck or shoulder. What are, is something, how, how would something like this show up uh, when you're doing this archetype work? Okay. So if I'm just doing energy work in that situation, the, the, the micro tool that I use is simply imagining, asking the client to imagine that they can pretend to pull the pain and give it a color because the language of the subconscious is uh, sensory information. So in visual, we use color. Um, so that micro tool lets us have a color, okay? And then that color becomes a doorway to a medium-sized tool, which is working with the wounded child. Okay. This is an example. And so let's say they have a pain in their right shoulder. Well, the Chinese figured out a long time ago that most of the time, the right side of the body um, deals with the masculine. So maybe their father burdened them or their brother burdened them or their husband burdened them or a boss burdened them who's male. The brain will have mapped it to the shoulder and they will then feel it in the shoulder. Okay. So they choose a color through that, that color locates to the subconscious. We use that location to find what past self was. So, so far, no energy work here. There's a past self there that needs attention, or there's something in the present moment that needs attention that is causing them discomfort. So then we work with that. When enough of the inner children that have been wounded in some way or the past selves that have been wounded in say, some way have healed, often there's, there's two things that can happen. One, the pattern resolves, the pain goes away. Or two, 
everything's as healed as it can be, but the pattern is still there. When that second one happens, that tells me um, that the overarching pattern, which would be an archetypical pattern, has not resolved. And so that's when I will bring in the astrological patterns to, and that is the largest tool I have to heal their world. Um, so maybe I will ask them to see the planet Mars in their mind. I will ask them to make it human because we are human and our brains love to deal with human anything. So we flip it to looking human and then maybe Mars looks grumpy that tells me that the interface in their brain that is receiving actual signals from the planet Mars, because Mars is a huge ball of iron and it's emitting its own stuff, plus the sun is reflecting on it and it hits our planet all the time. And so when it's hitting our planet, um, it's hitting people and, and everything. And so this particular person is receiving like a radio signal, specific frequencies from that particular planet. So we dial in to the part of their physical brain that is receiving that physical signal from Mars. Um, and then we maybe imagine sunlight or maybe imagine peace. Whatever we're doing there with our imagination, it's having a physical effect on the part of the brain that is interacting with whatever's coming off of Mars that we're picking up. And then once that's tuned, suddenly everything resolves. The pain goes away. The whole world is better. Everything is suddenly bigger, better. But I will say that usually tuning something like that doesn't work so well unless you've healed enough of the wounded past selves. Once enough of those have healed, then tuning something like that is huge. It literally turning huge pages in somebody's experience of reality. Oh, and I can certainly attest to that. I, you and I have worked through many, many, many patterns within me. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's um, both yeah. ways. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, well, like I said, you, you've, you're, you are an amazing, have been an amazing teacher and inspiration for me. Um, and, and so I really have based a lot of my work off of how you and I worked together. And yes, it, it just is tremendous, the results that can happen through text, through a phone call, through Zoom. I, I, it's, it's, you don't have to be there in person for any of this stuff to work, which is just fabulous. Again, I love the, the, flipping, the flipping of the light. Um, yeah. You know, <clears throat> I think the reason that this works long distance I don't think there's, I love magic and believe in that, but I don't dissociate into magic. Um, I just love the magic of magic. But for me, whatever that spooky action at a distance is that we saw at the Hadron Collider, I am wondering if the healing experience that people feel from um, long distance practitioners is utilizing some, whatever that connection is between particles of light or something else, because I, I sense that there's something else too. Science is only 250 years old. It is a baby. And so we really do not know that much. Science hasn't been around that long. Discovery has been around since before humanity, but the discipline of objectively experimenting with things instead of subjectively believing something just because we want to 
is very new to humanity. You know, we keep talking about the uh, the Hadron Collider. When they turned it on, um, did you feel any kind of like when they did the 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 the, the superconducting super collider and they they were you know they're, they're, let me just kind of back up a little bit. Some people theorize that when they first turned it on that it had such a big impact on the reality that we were living in at the time that we ac- accidentally got shifted into a like a different timeline what are your do you have any thoughts on that i've heard that at the edges of my own experience um but I've never really, like my son has paid attention to that and has shared some things about me with that. And I've seen some things about it. The thing is, anytime we have a thought, um, who before the Hadron Collider was built, somebody, a group of people had these thoughts of building it. So the particles of light were already shifted, like, Anytime you think, which is all the time, you are shifting light. Um, the machine is simply the 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 birth and and the arrival of of a baby that was in somebody's head, um, so that we could see outside of ourselves. Like like somebody said, the universe is finally able to look at itself, and then that's us. We're finally able to look at the universe, so we build things to look at the universe better. If it shifted reality, which it may have, um, okay. <laughs> a lot of things are doing that. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Kitty cat pin laser is doing that, you know? <laughs> so that is true. I mean, just even ha- sharing this information here is shifting, is going to shift some people's realities. So that's, uh, that's a pretty cool, cool thing. Um, so, you mentioned your son had some uh, thoughts about that. You you have a brilliant child uh, on your hands. Um, how do you feel things are different for him growing up with a parent who's more conscious of these types of um, realities? You know, are are his peers? catching up to him in that uh, state of consciousness or um have you been able to impact the the people you know the, the his peers I, you know being a parent in this time uh you know this day and age is is so challenging being a parent cha- generally is challenging but how do you feel this how your curiosity con- is constantly moving you forward to explore and expand how has that been um watching someone else, uh, you know, growing up and, 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 and having that interaction. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about, about how that is shifting things in your world. I mean, how has that shifted things? I've been careful, but naturally so to not force my views on my kid. If he asks questions, I will share what I know or what I think I know. Um, I will tell him, here's some tools that I have. Here's the understanding that I have. You can try it and see if it, it helps you. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that we've discovered is trauma makes people 
accidentally almost shed parts of themselves, like emit dissonant energies like crazy. So he has a friend who's been severely traumatized. Um, and when this friend is over, our energy is so affected that it takes us several days of, of self-healing work to just be able to have a good sleep at night. And sometimes oh, I'd wow. be out to you for help with that. But this particular friend has chosen to hate. Um, so for example, he's chosen instead of hope and healing and just moving forward where the things get better. Okay. He has decided, and we, you know, we have grown, I've grown up with him too, this kid. He's decided that he's going to steal. He's going to hate. He's going to hate the world. And, you know, for example, one time I'm like, I was making dinner for everybody. And I asked the kids, can y'all please bring your dinner plates to the sink? And he was so offended because he thought I was making him do work. Okay. Um, or sometimes I've asked his friends, can y'all help me carry something up the stairs? And he, his level of hatred that I'm, how dare I ask him, like it's on multiple levels. Um, what it's done is it's made his trauma dissonant energy, even deeper, more fractured, darker, um, and, and, and for me, physically painful to be around him. And, and it started to hurt David too. Um, and he would tell that to me. And so finally it got to a point where we, I, I had to say, I, I cannot have this person in my home anymore. And like, it took everything to get to that point. Cause I was trying anything to not do that because it's his friendships, but I had to, because I'm like, I'm human and I can't handle anymore. So I let him know. I'm like, I'm sorry. I am unable to handle this energy. It is too much for me. And so um, we had to exclude this person. Um, but I, I don't regret that. But there's another friend who's also gone through trauma and he also emits things. But he is just trying to do the best he can. Okay. Um, and so in our house, you would never know that we're energy workers. You would never know that David can do this. He's playing video games or jumping on the trampoline with his friends. Um, I just think the biggest effect for him is he just has an awareness of how things are based on things I've shared and things he has understood for himself that might be different from most kids, but the friendships are pretty much the same. You know, the, you know, as you're describing that kid with, you know, all of the, all that attitude, mm -hmm. um, I really could see his energy field looking as if he were a blob of black tar with uh, razor blades and shards of broken glass sticking out of him where he's it doesn't, it doesn't matter what he does. He is cutting other people. And because it, the other end is protruding inside of him, that anytime he comes into contact with somebody, he's actually feeling injured. And so that's a, that's a tough, a tough case. And if, um, you're, you know, that, that's, that's a harsh, hard, hard thing. Um, you described that, that really well, because he thinks the razor, the cutting of the razor blades are what others are doing. You're right. He's misidentifying the source of, yeah. of 
those injuries. Well, and most people, um, most people do misidentify because again, in my experience, everything outside of us starts first with whatever's going on internally. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's why I love doing the feng shui and the energy coaching that I do the transformation work, because, you know, it helps to take a look at what your external environment is, is, is saying to you, but then also being able to say, okay, so if this is telling me this, what, why did I need to have that message? Um, you know, what, how is it that I can take that collective unconsciousness or the, the unconscious patterns from my my environment from from the family of origin from the people that i am surrounding myself with how is this here to better inform me so that i can become a better person uh so that i can you know be walking through the world and not be this uh you know moving talking uh dancing nerve ending that's just ready to get twanged uh, and so, so yeah, that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about how you kind of helped clarify a lot of things. You know, I spoke about language earlier. Um, you know, you're talking about interfaces, but the way that you share this information, it does provide vocabulary to enrich a person's ability to describe why things are triggering them and why, you know, how they are experiencing something. Because until you have some kind of language to name something, it's really difficult to address it. Yes, um, it, it's completely true. Yeah. So <clears throat> what is next for you in your curious curiosity journey, Miss Kathy? Hmm. Um. I feel like I've gathered enough information. I've worked with enough people. I understand. So, you know, the analogy of the cat and, and the cat, she's about to go have her dinner and she goes and the owner, like she's so excited to get to her food. Her owner is pouring the food and she, her head goes under the stream of food. And to her, that is how you get fed. You know, the owner's like, you don't have to have food dumped on your head. But to her, she associates getting food dumped on her head with getting food. Okay. So for me, there's so much that I do and you do, Beverly, that's not mm -hmm. been in any shape or form at all, ever rigorously tested under a scientific. I mean, there, there's nothing you know, nothing mainstream science that is, that is, um, there are some side stream sciences that honestly could be mainstream. It's just media doesn't pay attention to it. But the stuff we do, we do anyways, because for you and for me, it keeps working. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some reason, when I pull a purple elephant out of somebody's shoulder <laughs> and stick it in my imaginary sunlight, their shoulder gets better. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I need that purple elephant. I don't know if using that level of imagination or sensory input or sensory interpretation is right. Maybe it's cat food on my head, but it's working. It keeps working. And so whatever the heck I'm doing, people are getting well consistently, just like, like what you do and yeah. what 
ancient civilizations have come up with with space and energy and location and internal and external maps in in the realm of feng shui it keeps working um and so whatever the reason behind it working science is nowhere near that um and so for me the next step may not necessarily be a step of curiosity because curiosity has brought me to the literal edges of all kinds of things. And I jump when I get to those edges because that's part of it. But now it's to document and replicate what my experience is just like you so that other people can have an easier path to actual wellness, um, which is my ultimate passion. So I understand you're working on an app to yes. help with healing. Yes. How's that going? Because <laughs> uh, technology, I mean, the fact that I'm recording here on StreamYard right now is still impressing me. Uh, yeah. And I know it's nothing incredibly, uh, you know, fascinating for anybody else. But for me, this has been a big deal. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I would, I'm curious, how, how are you going to be using this app for, for down the road? Is this going to be just for your clients? Is this going to be something that's just available uh, for, for the masses? How are you, how is that? What's your, tell me your vision for that. My vision or if it's still changing. Is to, no, it's there. It is to have it available to the masses at a super cheap price. Um, it's to replicate what I do in a system because it is systematizable so that people don't have to come see me to get well they can just go through the steps on the app i'm starting with allergies um seasonal as allergies. you itch your eye <laughs> allergies um <laughs> come on we live in texas it is yeah <laughs> i don't think that was an allergy itch i think that was an eyelash itch um but I'm, I used to have severe ones. Like I used to be under the covers trying to breathe and not able to work for a week. It was bad. But um, starting with seasonal allergies, because um, if I make a mistake in the app, then probably people aren't going to need to go to the hospital. It's just allergies. So I'm starting with that one. <laughs> That's so, a good one. A template for the deeper disorders that people go through um, and test it rigorously. So, and I know that it is going to actually be beneficial for people. So people will be able, they're going to see marketing. I will be marketing on Instagram and Facebook and, and Google and, uh, YouTube. So I will be marketing in that way. I'm developing that now. And then people will see that it exists. And if they wish they can then purchase the app and then they will fill out this intensive, very intensive, um, intake, which will let me know exactly why they have the symptoms they have. Um, so for example, if somebody suffered, you know, if they were born with forceps and there was trauma to the head, I'm, I'm going to assume that their sixth chakra may need attention. And then there's going to be steps for that. So it's going to look at their lives and see what aspect of their lives is contributing to their disorder. And then it's going to present to them steps they can take to, to actually heal the disorder they're going through. That sounds so cool. I, I, I am so excited for you to have this <laughs> out you. in the world. This will be an amazing tool for helping everybody get it really just to reach their optimal self. Um, 
You know, I think the thing that I've always appreciated about you is it's not that you're trying to find things that are wrong with anybody. You know, that's been one of the criticisms that uh, I've heard, uh, not just in my own self, but just in, in um, the energy work field uh, that, you know, the, the teacher that I first learned a lot of my stuff from was very big on figuring out what was wrong with you so that you could fix it. Um, this is more about enhancing what we already have and, and removing any roadblocks that really are there, that, that, that are, that's unnecessary. Uh, sometimes we need a little slowdown so that we can catch up so that our physical body can catch up with some of our, our, um, spiritual development. Um, but that needs to, that feels like it's more of a pause and it doesn't have to be a big smash your face into a wall kind of a thing. So anyway, Kathy, I am so grateful that you were able to give us so much of your time today. And thank you so much for being what my inaugural guest for this podcast. I look forward to talking with you when your app is fully functional and, uh, and anything else that uh, you might want to add for our listeners or viewers. Uh, no, just thank you. Good to see you. And thank you uh, for, for getting just to talk with you today. I, I've enjoyed it very much. I have learned, I mean, again, I've known you for many, many, many years, and I still always learn so much whenever we get together. So thank you again, and um, I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Yes, ma'am.